There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. My name is George Grumbacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today. This week is Justin Gray, the founder and CEO of Lead MD, a weekly columnist for, I should have written it down. Inc. Inc. Magazine. Inc. Magazine, partnering Gray Matter uh, Ventures. He's an investor in early stage startups. Also the CEO of Six Bricks, many different things. So he's an entrepreneur, a marketing expert, a husband and a father, amongst other things. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Centauri, is it niche or niche? Oh, wow. Um, niche market? I guess both are. I have no idea. I'm asking, I say niche. Yeah, okay. I don't know. What about Forte or Fort? Definitely not Fort. Forte. <laughs> Right. Yes. Okay. I think that those are the correct answers. Um, I, I always like to start off by trying to Every stump Centauri or say something. Is that funny. the goal here? That is today? always the All right. goal. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So, in in the spirit of that, I saw on your profile that you list yourself as unemployable. So that's the reason you started your own businesses, and then also that your wife is a saint. So that tells me something about I'm you. I'm a difficult individual, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, I gave Centauri a bit of a hard time, so I wanted to sort of get that out of you as well. Um, I wanted to start off a little bit. You are you, you you run a marketing company. I do. What would you say the real differences between sales and marketing mm. are? That's a good question. I, I don't believe that there are any. I think there's there's a lot of difference in perception there, certainly. But you know, modern day marketing is being forced to participate on the sales side of the house. So if, you, if you're not generating an outcome, it, normally that means revenue in a lot of these uh, different businesses, certainly SaaS, uh, B2B, where we operate, that means revenue. So if, if what you're doing on a daily basis isn't translating or influencing that revenue, there really isn't a lot of place for that within the modern day marketing realm. So what's the difference between the two? I would say the biggest difference is, is normally a customer-facing element. Sales is, is normally speaking with customers day-to-day. -day. They're interacting with them. They have that one-on-one -on -one, uh, you know, uh, interaction. On the marketing side, it's, it's still often one-to-many. So I'd say that's the primary difference, but still the two disciplines have to be generating an outcome. So for some level setting for the audience and the folks who, who are listening, marketing, buzzword, trending, what, what does that mean when people are... Yeah, I mean, any good marketer is just full of buzzwords, right? Like, I'll, I'll drop a ton of them during this, this podcast. But uh, marketing is based on a, a foundational element that is super important. And that's just, you know, right time, right place, right person. That, that is marketing for me. So are we talking about something that's relevant? Are we engaging the audience? And are they getting what they wanted out of that conversation? So at the crux, that is marketing. There's a lot of BS that obviously surrounds that. And, and a lot of people make a lot of money being gurus and, and ninjas and experts and so on there. But at the end of the day, again, are they producing something that's tangible? Got it. So when did you start your first business? Was it a, a smashing success right away? Uh, I started my first business in two, well, as a, as a kid, I started a lot of different businesses, but I would say in, in, out of respect for entrepreneurship, I started my first business in 2009, which was what LeadMD became, but certainly wasn't, uh, didn't look like 
it does today in those days. So we were reselling a platform called Marketo, uh, which some of you may be familiar with. They're a marketing automation software provider. I was their 20th customer in 2006. Saw that organization growing exponentially and attached ourselves to it uh, by white labeling it and wrapping services around it. So we started a little company called Mass Impact that was a, a, a flaming failure. And uh, out of those ashes kind of arose LeadMD, uh, more of a services agency, less of a software resale. And that's, I think that speaks to how businesses naturally find their, their own path. There wasn't a lot of value to us reselling the software. They could buy that directly from the, 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 uh, the vendor, the, the, the direct provider. But there was a value in the services that we wrapped around it. So people saw that and they asked us, you know, we, we can buy this direct from Marketo, but can you help us adopt it? Can you help us set it up? Can you help us optimize it? And so that's that's what we built the business around. Nice. So, and explain exactly what, perhaps you just did, what your company does today, who, who engages you, what are they trying to accomplish? Yeah, so we work all day long with marketers, whether that be you know a, a CEO who's playing the role of a, a, a marketing head at a smaller organization or a CMO at the top of a global 100 organization. We are squarely engaged with the marketer and we help them strategize, optimize, and deliver every process that you need within a marketing department. Well, Often awesome. enabled by technology. So when you say you use buzzwords, I'm always interested when marketers <laughs> say things like strategize and mm -hmm. optimize. What does that mean? It's like, so to lay folks, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it comes back to the simple principles. Who, who are we talking to? What are we saying? And when, when are we saying it? That every, Everything out of those three pillars arises a marketing strategy, right? Like, how are we going to take this business, this product, this concept to market? That's all strategy. Again, who are we aiming at? Aiming at? What are we saying? What types of content are we producing? What channels are, are, we, are we reaching the customer through? All, all of that strategy, I'd say there's a lot of firms that are great at developing those strategies, right? All, most of those firms are really bad at operationalizing it, so making it work on a day-to-day -day basis. Where does the rubber meet the road? How do you make uh, it tangible? How do you yeah, exactly. Do it? Are, are, are we making that happen? So many PowerPoint presentations sit on a, on a shelf and nothing happens. That's the goal of our organization is to never have that happen. So you talked about your first venture being a, a failure, but mm -hmm. how... Talk to us about like how far into it did you realize that it wasn't gonna wasn't gonna get off to, to what you thought it would be? Yeah, I, I I would say it was pretty quickly. Like first three to six months, we we saw that we weren't getting the traction that we wanted, um, and we were kind of fighting that notion. Like, no, we want to sell the software side of things. We want that to be a part of this business model, and and we just had to have a really hard realization and say that that's not what the market is is finding value in. So let's pivot slightly. Let's let's fully embrace the services side of, of things. And, uh, and keep going down that path and, and do it in a, in a really intentional manner. Right. So when you start a business, anybody can start a business, yep. right? It's a matter of- 20 bucks for a business card and a, and a filing at the corporation commission. Right, but how do you make a marketable business? And what, what, what's, what's the difference there? Yeah, I, I, for me, a marketable business focuses on, is 100% buyer driven. It focuses on the customer. What is that niche or niche? that we're serving. <laughs> we you know, decided on niche, I think. Niche, okay. What, what is that niche that we're serving and how are we gonna own that marketplace? That is incredibly important to me. Like, I wanna own 100% of that space before we start peeling back layers of the onion and kind of going further into other areas. So, um, what are what are their specific needs? How, how can we tailor our product to those very specific needs? And really let them walk away with a sense of, wow, with a sense of wonder. Like, I got something from these guys I can't get anywhere else. That's that. That's what makes a business for me. Got it. Okay. So, if 
you're listening to the, if, if somebody's listening to this and say, okay, that makes all the sense in the world. How do I figure that out? Do I first try to figure out what I get excited about personally, or do you look at the marketplace and, and try to identify a problem to fix? Yeah, I, I haven't seen many businesses succeed with someone saying, this is what I'm excited about. I want to do this. It normally starts with, I see a pain. Either I've experienced that, I've experienced that scale, like a lot of other people are seeing that same pain. Um, I also run a podcast, so I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about ideas that stick. I was talking to a young woman yesterday, you know, her and her friends were trying to, to buy furniture, right? So this is a, you can check these guys out online. It's a company called Hutch. Um, they're, you know, well-funded by Zillow. They've got about 17 million in funding at this point. And they tried to, to enter the market in several different areas that they thought were going to be successful. And then they finally fell on the idea where that, again, the market was telling them where to go. This is the pain that we're all having. We can't visualize furniture in our homes. Very similar in our story. Like people were beating down our door saying, we're not ready to embrace this technology. Everyone says that we have to. Can you just help us? Mm -hmm. You know, can you come on and augment our team? And, and, and therefore, I find that pain is the much better indicator of what will become a successful business than, hey, I'm excited about it. I love blockchain. I want to go do something on blockchain. Great. There's a lot of that out there. But how, how can you actually identify an actual pain that people are willing to pay to have solved and, and tailor your product specifically for that pain? How do you differentiate um, among those pains? So as, the, as Hutch scales, there's going to be many competitors. How does... How do they stay number one, or do you see that that being, that being necessary? Yeah, I, I think staying number one in, in any business or any niche is, is hyper-centered around evolution. Mm -hmm. So the more that, and this is, you know, why, why do big software organizations like SAP and Oracle get disrupted all the time? It's because they had a business model that worked, and every decision that they make is normally framed by that original concept. Like, we already know what we're doing. We don't need to change. And you see all these little entrants coming in, poking holes in certain areas of those businesses saying, oh, we can do that better. And so you have to be evolving at all times. Like our business has probably gone through four major evolutions throughout the course of nine years at this point. So that's a lot. You know, like you really have to have your, your ear to the ground, understanding what the customer is asking for and, and having that willingness to respond. Anytime you're saying, no, I, I know better than the customer, I, I guarantee that you don't. Anecdotally, do you see a lot of entrepreneurs and startups asking those questions, or do you feel like a lot of uh, founders are saying, "I know what the customer wants," rather than letting the customer by the guide them? Yeah, I think you know, there's there's obviously a ton of these business coaches and podcasts and best practices out there that have said like, "Fail fast," you know, uh, uh, you know, market test everything, come with an MVP. So the the sentiment is certainly more prevalent today than it ever has been before. Um, but when you look at that in practice, oftentimes it sounds good to say, you may even think you're doing it, but it's a really difficult concept to truly uh, ingrain within your organization. So I would say the idea is, is definitely there, but it's a, it, it's, it has to be very intentional when you're, when you're executing against that vision. Okay. <clears throat> That's, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, what makes a lot of entrepreneurs super successful is probably that they Luck. have this is that they're extremely lucky <laughs> and the ball bounces just the right way. What, what role it does, does passion have for lighting the fire getting up and doing it every day? Do you get that after you identify the need and then start getting successful or I'm, I'm kind of getting back to that same thing. It's like, if it's not what I'm super passionate about, then how do you, 
get up and grind and, and, and stick it out day after day to be successful. Yeah, I, I think it's all, I mean, like getting up and, and, and being willing to go into an office or, you know, face a problem every single day is important. But if you're not passionate, you're, uh, you're going to face a thousand no's, literally, like things are not going to work out. Things are going to fail. You're going to lose an employee. You know, that big contract you thought you had done is, is going to dissolve. That's where passion comes in. You know, if you're not aligned and you're not saying, hey, this is what I want to do. If I won the lottery and had a billion dollars tomorrow, like it's still what I would do. Um, then I, I think that longevity is, is something that, that erodes pretty quickly. And that's where you see someone starting that business and, you know, they're, they're hyped up about it and they're telling everyone and their brother. And then six months later you ask and, and they've taken a job. That's where that plays in. You know what I mean? Like it, they were counting on that windfall success and, you know, luck has a monster amount of, of, to do with, with what we all do on a daily basis. And it's not easy to be lucky all the time. So the only thing that you can be is diligent and persistent, and that will create that, that path to luck. Talk to us about, um, there's so much research behind grit and the efficacy of perseverance, especially in entrepreneurship. So talk to us a little bit about how you've persevered and how you would instill that in someone that is up and coming. Because, you know, you're, you're going to hear no a lot. There's going to be times where you have to sacrifice a ton for your venture. How do people push through that? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a really difficult question. It's something that I actually intentionally try to unlock all the time as I'm talking to other founders, entrepreneurs, even even folks that are successful in their their position, in their job, because there you, there's a certain amount of upbringing that goes into this, right? Like everyone seems to be, either they had a lot of adversity in their life and they had to overcome that and therefore that, that set them up for success, or they had parents and people around them that just told them they could do anything. And when they did some crazy, quirky stuff, they rewarded them for that. So how do you, you know, it, I guess it depends on what point in life you're having that conversation. Can you have that conversation effectively with someone who's 50 or 60 years old? Less so, you know what I mean? So I think it's more about how do we foster within these young folks that are, are thinking about starting businesses? How do we enforce and, and reinforce the fact that they can go out there and do this? And that it's not this, you know, they don't need to be perfect. There's not this like, when you create a product, like there's not this, you know, absolute ideal state that you have to have in order to go to market. Like it is that a bit of that fail fast mentality. It is a bit of just put something out there and see how people react and don't get discouraged by that. No, or that, you know, someone laughing at that idea and so on. Like you, through that persistence, you will have a good idea. You will find success, but most people quit before they ever get there. Interesting. Nice. So talking about marketing, what is the current state of marketing? Yeah, I think the current state of marketing is with a lot of disciplines where we've gone so many through so many different iterations, like we've got to get it right here eventually. And and marketing with the recession recession in 08 and even before that, there had been kind of this shift from what used to be traditional marketing and advertising where you were more of a project manager for vendors, right? Like you worked with a graphic design firm, you worked with a branding firm, you worked with an events firm, and they did all the work. And you you kind of sat back and provided some of that guidance. Nowadays, marketers are being asked to do everything. Like if, if, if someone doesn't know what goes on within an organization, it gets put in marketing's lap. Um, if you know, someone, someone doesn't know how to do that task or, hey, who's going to perform this campaign? Like that's all marketing. So marketing has become a professional discipline. They actually have to produce things. And we ask them to be data scientists on one side and creative geniuses on the other. Mm. And it's a really difficult mix of, of skill sets there. So throughout all of that, we've introduced all this technology to enforce that evolution, right? But we haven't empowered the marketer to actually 
understand these principles and become experts at these platforms. We've, we've kind of thrown it at them and the folks that could swim did and the folks that sank, you know, that, that, that's where you see these folks like transitioning into other disciplines and so on. So I think marketing is in, in, a, in a hyper set state of change, even more so than disciplines like sales or, or certainly your traditional disciplines like accounting and, and, and legal and so on. Like marketing needs to find a home. And so I think you're at the point where we have to start educating these folks. We have to start empowering them. We can't just sit back and throw technology at the problem, which is what we've been doing for the last decade. When you think about marketing, um, talk to us a little bit about what do you feel the perfect pedagogy would be then? So if you're trying to create a perfect marketer, what should they learn? What should they do? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you what we look for within a hire, which, you know, I think the, the interesting thing about an agency is that we not only have to hire great marketers, we have to hire folks that can do it for 20 orgs at the same time, transition back and forth. You know, they can work on four or five projects a day. They can, they can be creative. They can be strategic. They can be data-driven. So it's all these kind of disciplines rolled into one. So anytime someone walks into an interview and says, well, my current job, I kind of wear a lot of hats. That's, that's a green light right there. Like, uh, okay, let's dig into that further. Tell me about those projects. Tell me about, you know, some, this type of thing goes wrong within an organization. Do, do people call you? Do they look to you for help? So it's normally that, that person who kind of is a jack of all trades. They're that Swiss army knife of an individual. They can write. They can then plug that, that copy into an email. They can send it out. They can look at the, the analytics behind it. They can determine what they're going to do next based on those. It's a really rare skill set. And, and, you know, from an education standpoint, that's what we're trying to do under Six Bricks is bring in all those different skill sets and disciplines and, and just areas of expertise and roll those into a formal education program, which, again, doesn't exist today. Right. I was fascinated when I was looking at Six Bricks this morning learning a little bit about it, and I have a very, I fancy myself a critical thinker, and I, it popped into my head that this is like an online trade school right. for for marketers. Right. I mean, right now, experience drives marketing skill set. Like, there is no play. Like, you can obviously get a marketing degree, and I think there's value in those foundations, but the first day on your job, you're going to be asked to administer a CRM and segment data and create content and engage that content with the buyer. Where do, where do we learn that? You know what I mean? Like there, there's no, and even if you did learn that in school, you need to do it dozens and hundreds of times in order to understand what the issues are, things that arise, signals to look for. I mean, that, that, so I think a trade is very much what I would liken that to. Like you don't just become a plumber by reading a book, right? Like you have to go out and be an apprentice and, and then ultimately you earn that mastery. I think marketing is very much in the same, same area. So you feel like it's experiential. Absolutely, absolutely. And changing so quickly. Every day. Because once you master the Facebook, how to actually market via Facebook, then Facebook says, you know what? We're going to change everything. We're going to change the algorithm. And now you have to relearn that somehow. Well, I, I think the interesting thing is, you know, like obviously marketing via Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook, like that's super sexy to talk about, right? Like most of the students I talk to are like, oh, I love social media marketing. And the first question you're going to be asked is, well, is your buyer on those platforms? Hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of the jobs that are out there are B2B. You know, you're selling to businesses. A business <laughs> engages on Snapchat in a really poor way. You know, like they may have a profile, they may be sharing content, but it's normally just because they think that they should be doing so. Like, so immediately, if, if I'm working with my normal buyer, which is B2B, B2C, um, more in the, and B2C more in the e-commerce space, you really have to understand where that buyer is going for content, for educational materials, to earn trust. 
um, and engage through those platforms. So it might be a LinkedIn. It might be some other sort of channel that, that we don't even, aren't even aware of that we would learn in school. So I, I think we latch onto these highly visible outlets, but normally we're dealing with something that's much less sexy, much less polished. And, and that's marketing. The buyer leads us to where we're going to go, not our own desire. So you talked uh, interesting enough about, yeah, we've talked a lot about the, the tactics and the, um, the, the platforms, but I want to hear your thoughts on this idea that when you think about marketing, you think about effective marketing, it all comes back to effective storytelling. Sure, sure. So tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's the creative aspect of that where you just try, and that's branding these days, which is creating content that engages the buyer. And we see this all the time. Those are the big marketing campaigns that we all get excited about. Someone, you know, Budweiser creates an awesome video that talks about their heritage and everyone's like, oh, wow, that's great. That's great marketing. It is, but that is the branding element to it, right? Like you, like Budweiser or anyone in the, in the B2C space has to tie that to an upswing in purchase, right? So mm-hmm. tying those two items together takes a lot of tactic. It takes a lot of, uh, integration. It takes a lot of knowledge around how data works to truly identify those trends. So, you know, and, and that's even more so in, in the B2B space. So anytime that you're dealing with content creation or just, you know, overall branding, you also have to understand that there's an entirely other area of marketing that is dealing with purchase data and, you know, hey, how are we positioning that product within a store? Is that identif- Are people identifying with that? Are they, are they enjoying the product? You know, like that. this entire notion of customer lifecycle marketing is just so important these days. And is that something that's being taught in undergrad and undergraduate marketing? Not, not that I've seen. I mean, you've got programs like uh, UC Berkeley has a great like real world marketing extension. Um, you've got, you know, folks like Duke that are, are rolling out programs along this line, but not at scale. You know, mm-hmm. your, your, your normal university has a real challenge keeping up with the pace of innovation here. And that's where I think, you know, like immediately you've got to get folks that are, are coming in and, and teaching from the real world. They're sharing those experiences um, and, and, and they're augmenting what, a, what a, a teacher can honestly keep up with. Got it. In today's, in today's world with technology and everything else that's going on, how different is B2B versus B2C? You know, I like to say anything that you see B2C doing, B2B will be doing in 12 months. So, I mean, it, we're, we're copycats and hey, great. You know, like th- these things work. AI and data science and, and predictive algorithms, like that, that's a B2C, like these guys do this stuff all day long. They have to. I mean, purchase data and trends happen at a, in a real-time nature and therefore they have to be dialed into the, to that customer insight. B2B is trying to, to take a lot of those same principles and apply them. And I think some they're doing successful, some some less successful. The big difference between the two is data. On the B2C side, you've got a wealth of data. Like you can go to my Twitter and get a sentiment on, on what I think and believe and feel. On the B2B side, you don't have that same insight. And so that's where B2B is really struggling. Like a contact form is normally what B2B deals with. So maybe you've got a title, maybe you've got a location or a phone number, but, but that's about it. So it's really hard to go deep into the psyche of a buyer. I mean, these guys are buyers, they're individuals, they're humans. And, and so I think combining those two data sets is really the evolution of B2B marketing as we start to understand how who I am as a person drives what I do and what I buy in a business setting as well. I uh, got a phone call recently from a, a company trying to market their services to to me and my business, and it was all about using artificial intelligence <laughs> through LinkedIn to identify prospective clients and then reach out to them. And it got me thinking that once everybody is using this kind of technology, does it just become 
does it all revert back to the mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that's marketing though, right? Like everything is cyclical in marketing. We're looking to get into, and it's moving more quickly than it ever has. So like take email marketing, for example. Like in 01, email marketing was like this brand new arbitrage of like, oh, I can jump into this and get like 50% response rates. People aren't used to getting marketed in this manner. They're used to getting stuff in their, their mailbox. And so it was this huge wave, right? And it still is, quite frankly, in B2B. But now those cycles are getting shorter and shorter to where you saw Instagram becoming a, a, a great channel and people flocked to it, but it only worked for like six months, it, you know, until we, we, we had to do something different. So I think AI is in that same trend, but data is going to play a big role in determining that success as it relates to B2B. So th those cycles are getting shorter. The thing that creates consistency is authenticity. So those authentic brands, your folks like, I would give Slack as an example, like Slack is an organic, authentic brand that IT folks brought into organizations. It's still, and I say this all the time, it's the only platform that we've ever rolled out that has been employee driven and had 100% adoption. And so that, like, what can, we, what can we take away from that? How can we learn from that brand and how they've owned that niche and, and, and used it to really expand into the rest of the organization? That, that's where marketing needs to go. And I'm sorry, you said it's employee-owned and 100% adoption. I don't know. So what that this means. Is meaning, like, we uh, one of my employees lit it up. They brought it. It was, you know, it's a, it's a free trial, so they didn't have to get approval or or POs or anything like that. And they started using it in little teams. And then before long, people said, "Oh, what what are they using over there? I I want to get in on that. Like, I think it's cool to share little gifs and so on. Like, so like people wanted to get into it. And then they came to me and said, "We want to pay for this platform. Like, we can only do so much with the free version." We bought it, and, and now it is the preferred communication mm -hmm. channel for everyone at LeadMD. I was thinking yesterday, I started a, um, with a new firm about seven months ago, and we used Slack. And at mm -hmm. first, it was my first time using it. Now, last night, I was thinking, I don't understand how it worked before Slack. So the interesting thing is, like, we, we sell with a lot of partners, right? Like, so, like, Marketo is a big partner for us. The most effective thing that we've done in the last five years with those partners is start up Slack channels with them. Right. And they can reach out, like not an email, not a phone call, but hey, I've got a question. I'm selling to this buyer. Can you help us? Can you enable our sales process? And that's been a game changer for us. So just little things like that mm -hmm. that you would never, like that wouldn't be my partner marketing strategy, right? Like, but it's still the most effective uh, tactical item that, we, that we've deployed. So uh, using Slack as an example, how are they as a, as a marketer, how, how, do, how are they gaining new business and doing that work? Well, they're, they're struggling with that right now, right? Okay. Like, so I, I just got back from Saster and I saw their CEO speak. Like, they're struggling with, with outbound intentionality. Like, they cannot prove that when they spend a dollar on marketing that it yields them anything more mm. than their organic reach. And so I think it's difficult to transition some of those organic brands into something that does convert via paid ad or email marketing and things of that nature. And so... Yeah, Quite frankly, I think they just need to follow the, the path of least resistance there, but amplify that. How do you take it from, I'm just going to refer you over to this, to actually I'm going to monetize that referral. I'm going to give you a little bit of a reward. So maybe you don't just do one, but you do two. Mm -hmm. So again, I think that's marketing and understanding what the buyer, how they behave and what they want, and then promoting more of that behavior. That's I don't cool. want to swim upstream. Nice. So what would your advice be to a college student considering... Whatever advice you want to give. Get, get, get a mentorship, get an internship. You know, like you will be surprised at how many entrepreneurs, business leaders, and I guess when we say entrepreneurs, people naturally think like startup or, or smaller organizations. I'm talking about global, you know, mm -hmm. Fortune 100 will be 
open to spending time with you and having a phone call or an email exchange or at least connecting on social and answering questions that you might have. Like people will do that. They want to do that. I think it's an incredibly under leveraged uh, mentorship angle. And then, you know, someone that you do really connect with, ask them to be a formal mentor. They'll be flattered. I guarantee it. And, and they will help you through some of those decisions because what you do coming out of college can either add a lot of runway to your success mm-hmm. or accelerate it greatly. You know, I took the long route. If I, if I were to look back on, on what I would do and do it all over again, like I would follow my own advice there. I wouldn't go get three or four jobs that I absolutely hated and then stumbled upon a startup that, that wanted to hire me. And then that was kind of, that was, that was my, you know, awakening, my spring there, you know, but it took me almost 10 years to do that. And so like, if you can spend 10 years not wasting your life, as I feel like, you know, like I was miserable in those jobs, like get out there and engage with these people, get exposed to more businesses. Maybe you like the B2C side, maybe you like the B2B side, maybe you like the nonprofit world. This will give you the channel to find that out. Excellent. Um, I, I have one more question then we'll, if, if anybody has a question, um, who would you recommend to use Six Bricks? Anyone that wants to enter the, the field of marketing. I mean, that, that, that is our goal is, is to provide that bridge from, I want to do this, but it, so, I mean, it's the, the classic catch 22, right? Like everyone is looking for experience in their hire, but no one can get experience without getting hired. And, and so when, if you look at the job ads in marketing, certainly within B2B, it says, you know, must have four to five years running Marketo or running Oracle Eloqua. How do you get that? You know what I mean? Like the, these platforms are maybe 10 years old at the max. So they're looking for a lot of unicorns out there. Someone has to give up and comers a chance. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give them access to these platforms, let them learn on it within a controlled environment so that they can say, yeah, I, I have this certification. I have launched campaigns on, on Marketo. And, and I'm at that one to two year level without actually even getting a job yet. So, I mean, that, that, that's our goal. And and you know it's free to the to the, to the student to the individual learner. So yeah, I would invite anyone who's got that that goal to take advantage of it. The program is free to individual learners. Correct. Wonderful. Wow. Nice. Yeah, and then beyond that, we're also lighting up kind of a marketing academy uh, starting uh, mid year this year. We're actually doing you know four to six paid individuals that we'll bring into LeadMD. We'll teach them using Six Bricks. We'll then get them introduced to client projects. And then uh, to one graduate, we're actually going to offer a position. So I, I feel really strongly about creating kind of that real world accelerator into the marketing space because marketer, like marketers are in high demand and the supply is incredibly low. So anything that we can do to, to bolster that supply, we're, we're 100% in. We're willing to put our money where our mouth's at. I credit you for that for sure. Wonderful. Questions from our audience? Um, so at the beginning of the talk, you you were discussing like uh, pivoting and also like not quitting. Mm-hmm. When do you know? When do you know you've gone quitting? far enough? Yes. When do you know? Like, <laughs> the the mo- hopefully, like four months before the money runs out, right? <laughs> um, I, I do think obviously money plays a, a big part of that decision, right? And that's why I always encourage people to do things on the side, you know, start to get some traction in that business before you quit your day job, right? And I think that that's where that perseverance comes through. It's like, you know, getting a gym membership or, or taking a course in school. Like, it sounds great to say, but sticking with it is, is really difficult. And so I think you can find out if you're cut out for entrepreneurship, if you can go to school or you can go to a job for eight hours a day and still find time for your passion. And so that will provide you a little bit of runway and hopefully take away some of the pain where if you have quit that job 
and you had six months of money saved up and you're month five and you're saying, well, this isn't really working out, they, you know, that, that, that's a painful place to be in. So I would definitely recommend getting, you know, doing some market testing around the idea before you actually have to do, you know, go all, go all in. If you are all in, you know, the general rule of thumb is like, if you've got six months of cash left in the bank account, you need to make a decision at that point. Like you've got to get some sort of, of critical indicator that says we're going to make this work or we're going to have to pivot into something else. So ideally, I'd love to have six months left of runway to, to try to make something work. Excellent. Thank you. What would you say, what advice would you say to an upcoming entrepreneur or even <clears throat> young or old? What are the things that you shouldn't do in marketing that you see? Uh, well, the number one thing you shouldn't do in marketing is stuff that sounds cool. You know, like it, it, chasing trends, chasing buzzwords. And, and quite frankly, we see this all the time. Most of the clients that come to us with the, you know, their hair's on fire, they got their hand raised, they want to do something because they feel that they should be. Not because they've actually, and, and this is the classic, like, when's the best time to buy technology? When you've actually broken your manual process. Most of these folks haven't even done the manual process yet, but they know that they need that shiny new toy, that marketing automation platform, or account-based marketing is huge in, in B2B right now. People are buying account-based tools and technology as the first step. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense for my business. I'd love to support your, your business in rolling out these tools, and you know, I, I, I'd make a lot of money doing it but you're going to churn out in six to 12 months because you didn't see that need first. So always make sure that you're, you're experiencing the pain before you're solving for it. So do things manually for as long as you can. Don't do things just because they're trendy. Everything needs to be market driven. So like, you know, if you're going to create one piece of content and put it out there, make that your beta test, you know, launch, launch a blog, launch, you know, a video, a piece of content, see how people react to it before you plan to do a ton more of that type of content or, or, or go, towards that buyer uh, uh, all in, you know what I mean? Like it, it's the same thing that we would do in software, apply those principles to marketing. Like it's MVP, it's market testing, it's making sure there's an actual demand before we go too far down a path that we can't reverse. Justin, I'd love to talk to you a little One bit second, more. One second, sir. Oh, oh sorry, didn't see. Go, go. Um, how do you find the efficiencies or inefficiencies in companies with the addition of things like Slack, Basecamp, three different email accounts, LinkedIn, uh, yada, yada, yada. Sure. Uh, because here in the education world, we are finding an overwhelming volume of information coming towards us and time-wise not being efficient enough to respond because we have to check all these different channels. Totally. Yeah, so I, I think there's some roles that the organization has there, and there's some roles that the individual has. So as, a, as an organization, I don't think you should have more than two communication channels that, that, are, that the company requires you to use, right? And so email, unfortunately, is always going to be one of those channels. You know, our other channel is Slack. We really try to keep communications out of other platforms, which we have Box. We have a, a, a solution called Clarison. Um, you know, just we have LinkedIn, obviously, like... We try to keep core communications out of those platforms, and we try to define the types of communications that go in each one. Slack is for conversation, email is for tasks. So I think as an organization, we try to arm our employees with kind of some of those guidelines. As an employee, you have to chunk your day. It's certainly like in our world where, where customers 
do not care about what you're doing at that point. They just want an answer to a problem. They, they want that deadline to be met. You have to dedicate time where you're not going to be on email and where you're not going to immediately be responding to. I mean, essentially, you're letting other people dictate your schedule, right? And so you have to be able to shut that down and work for, you know, I've got my, my COO loves 50 minutes. He does things for 50 minutes. He checks communications for 10 and he's back into the next cycle. And so I think as the individual, you know, I use the analogy all the time. If you were a carpenter or if you were a plumber, if you were in a trade, you would spend the night before or, or sometime sharpening your tools, making sure you've got what it takes for that next day's job and so on. Business is no diff- different, but we treat it like we can just crack a laptop and jump into whatever we're doing. And we can't do that. So I think on the individual level, you have to take a really intentional approach to how you're going to structure your day and, and how you're going to use tools to, to, to benefit you and not hinder you within that process. But it's, I mean, it's absolutely difficult. You know what I mean? I, I turn off all the red bubbles on my alerts. Like my phone has none of those. So, you know, that, that's, that's my own hack to make sure that I don't get distracted in all these little areas. Um, but it's, a, it's also about what works for you. So I would recommend a system called Getting Things Done or GTD. Uh, there's plenty of books around that. And it's a whole methodology. It, again, it works for me. Other people like Inbox Zero. There's a ton of different productivity frameworks out there. My point is have one. That's excellent advice. Do you, um, I, picking back off her question, do you, are you one of those folks that checks their email Twice, twice a day at the bookends? No, no. I, I, I couldn't, I'm like, I think you have to in, implement a layer of reality in there, right? right? Like, that sounds great for me. Like Some people, they, they, they say yeah, I, I, I mean, and the, the email autoresponder always kills me. Like, I check my email between these two times. Like, okay, that doesn't help your buyer out whatsoever. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I try to, to have those structures. Like, I, if you, you can book a meeting with me online. I use this little tool called Calendly. But I only allow it to be booked within certain proximity to other meetings. And I use that proximity between meetings to check email, mm-hmm. to check you know Slack and so on. So it, it is intentional, but it, it, you always have to have that like, hey, if you really need me, like text me. Like I will get a text at any time and, and that will be my, my, uh, my, my catalyst to say, oh, I do have to go check that. You know, so Kristen, who's on my PR team sitting in the audience, like, she knows she has to text me from, from time to time because she's not getting a response. You know, like you, you kind of have to have that bat phone element. But no, I, I probably check email probably eight, nine times a day, but within a chunk. You know what I mean? I'm not going in and reading one email. I get over 500 emails a day. So it is, it is a volume. And most of that stuff is like FYI. Or, you know, hey, I need your approval on something. So it's pretty quick to get through that. But still, if, if, I, if I didn't take a, a consorted approach to it, I'd be doing email all day long. Yeah. Can you um, talk to us about uh, writing for Inc. magazine? So I went, read through a couple of your articles that were great. But how has that helped you grow as a marketer or help you uh, push out your brand? Or what have you seen as the benefits of doing that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm super passionate about growing businesses and and more specifically growing marketing as a, as a discipline within Arizona, right? I think traditionally Arizona has lost a lot of its talent to, to neighboring states, to tech centers. Um, people don't go to school here because they don't see the job market here around the disciplines that they, they want to enter. And, and so I'm passionate about changing that. Hmm. Um, so I think Inc. gives me a, a bit of a platform, number one, to prove that there are successful businesses in Arizona, and there are many. You're certainly, you know, a part of an awesome group here. Um, I think it also allows me to kind of distill ideas that I want to implement within our organization or report back on the status of 
of changes that we've made. So we do a lot around talent management and you know team engagement and uh, you know hiring and employee optimization and so on. The further up within an organization that you get, you'll you'll find two things. Your primary job becomes sales, and you spend most of your time on on, on human management, mm-hmm. human capital management. And and so I want to do those two things really well. And so the ink column kind of allows me to to understand what are we working on really this quarter? How am I going to put it? Like I love putting things out in the world because then I have to do them right. So I'll say, oh, we're launching this new you know talent management or or, or goal setting platform. And by platform, I just mean like a, a we're, we're doing it under a consortium framework. And now I have to do it because I can check back in in six months and say, oh, this is what it yielded for us. So I, I like it both from a personal brand building and from kind of a, a, an Arizona awareness perspective, but also from it makes me get things done that I'd like to be working on. That's great. Thank you. Excellent. Any other questions? Perfect. Well, Justin, we definitely appreciate your time and your insights. Appreciate where, you guys having me. Where can people find you? Yeah, so you can get me at graymatter.vc. That's my personal site. You can check out portfolio companies and just what I've got going on there. The Inc. article certainly publishes to that outlet as well. Um, if you want to check out our podcast, it's at Driven & Co. Uh, you can find that at leadmd.com forward slash marketplace along with all the other content that we produce. So, yeah, those two channels are always best. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm active there as well, at jgraymatter, so at jgraymatter on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks for attending. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. Share it with somebody somebody else who also appreciates good ideas. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. Struggle is real. Good job, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.